This is the fourth episode of a series entitled Drawing Near, looking at James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. And in this series, James has been reminding his readers that God has called them to draw near to him. In chapters 4, in chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, he has been teaching the reader just how that is possible. And he began by telling them that they were to, first of all, submit to God. That is to say, they are to arrange themselves under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the last reflection on this passage, we examined what it means to resist the devil as the second step towards intimacy with God. And we looked at how we resist the devil through the discernment that comes from God, from the, by the truth of his word, through faith in him and his word, and obedience. Now, as we come to verse 8, James moves on now to challenge his reader with the next step towards intimacy with God. Listen to what he says here in James 4 and verse 8, the first part, where he says this, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James simply tells them that they were to draw near to God. And in this episode, we want to take a moment to reflect on that phrase and what it means, draw near to God. And we'll do so by asking three questions. First, to whom? do we draw near? Second, why do we draw near? And third, what are the hindrances to drawing near? James tells us here that we are to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Well, the first question we need to address here is to whom do we draw near? Well, James makes that quite clear when he says, draw near to God. Now, that seems to be quite simple until we actually examine the lives of those who drew near to God. Consider, for example, the story of Moses in Exodus 24. In Exodus 24, verses 9 to 11, we read, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, And seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and ate, and drank." Now, on this occasion, Moses, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders went up the mountain to meet with God. And they describe for us what they saw at that particular time. But what is striking here is what they say in verse 11. And he did not lay his hands on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. God, he says, did not lay his hand on them. The idea here is that the Lord did not strike them down. They actually saw God and lived to eat and drink again. 
Now, this verse leads us to understand that drawing near to God is not something to be taken lightly. We read in Exodus chapter 32 that Moses would go up again into the presence of the Lord. And this time, Moses was in the presence of God for some time. And the people at the foot of the mountain began to fear what might have happened to him. Understanding the awesomeness of this great God to whom Moses approached, they believed that God may have struck Moses dead while he was in his presence. And they were not quite sure that they wanted that kind of a God, such a fearful God. And so notice in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1, the response of the people to the absence of Moses. Exodus 32, 1 says this, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. That day, as the people of God reflected on the God's uh, on the God that, of Moses. And they thought about Moses up there in the mountain, not returning. They became afraid of this God. They were fearful. And that day they determined that they wanted a God who was less fearful, a little more human. And so they cast an idol in, in the fire and Aaron presented them with this golden calf to worship instead of this great and awesome God that Moses had approached. Listen to what happened to Isaiah the prophet as we read in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse uh, 4 to 5. God drew near to Isaiah one, on one occasion, and listen to what happened. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And he said, Who, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah describes the approach of God and God drawing near in this passage. And he tells us that the foundations of the temple shook at the very sound of his voice and smoke filled that place. And Isaiah cries out, woe is me, I am lost. In other words, this is the end for me. I cannot stand in such a presence without perishing. In Revelation chapter 1, we read of what took place with the Apostle John. And the Apostle too describes seeing the Son of Man. And he describes his eyes as like flames of fire, his voice like the roar of many waters, a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth and his face like the sun shining in full strength. And notice what happens to John when he saw the Lord in this vision. Revelation 1 and verse 17 says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. The vision of the Lord was too much for his mortal frame to bear. He was overcome and he fell at his feet like a lifeless lump. 
Revelation chapter 6 tells us that one day the Lord himself will appear. And John tells us what the response of the most powerful and influential people on this earth will be on that occasion. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 15 to 17, this is what John tells us the response will be to the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Great terror filled the hearts of the rich and the powerful, as well as the smallest among them, and they cry out, who can stand in the presence of God. It is no light thing to draw near to God. Now, having seen these examples, the next question that immediately comes to mind is this Why should we take the chance to draw near to such a God? Why do we draw near? And there are a number of reasons why we not only should, but absolutely need to draw near. Why we need to take this chance and draw near. And the first and foremost reason for drawing near has to do with forgiveness. Listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55 verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah tells us to call upon the Lord while he is near and while we can still find him. He reminds us that this God will have compassion and abundantly pardon. That's why we draw near for his compassion and for his pardon. Notice that we're to call out while the Lord still may be found. We're to call out while he is near because this will not always be the case. The day is coming when the Lord will withdraw his presence and he will no longer be found. And all that remains at that time will be his judgment and eternal separation. We must draw near while he is near and can still be found to seek his forgiveness. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a 
true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ has opened a way for us to draw near to God. And when he died, the curtain on the temple was ripped from top to bottom, indicating that through his death, through his death, there was now access to God. We are to draw near, according to Hebrews, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The fact of the matter is this. There is no forgiveness until we draw near. And you can't draw near unless you're forgiven. We must stand before this fearful and holy God if we want forgiveness and cleansing. We must draw near and confess our sin. We must fall down at his feet in confession and we must draw near lest we perish without his forgiveness the second reason why we need to draw near is to know his blessing reflecting on this john newton wrote alas from such a heart as mine, what can I bring him forth? My best is stained and dyed with sin. My all is nothing worth. If there was one thing that John Newton understood, it was that he could offer absolutely nothing to God that was not stained with sin. Now, how do you serve God if every effort you bring to him is stained with sin? Well, Newton went on to say this, the best return for one like me so wretched and so poor is from his gifts to draw a plea and ask him still for more. I cannot serve him as I ought. No works have I to boast, yet I would glory in the thought that I should owe him most. You see, John Newton understood something incredibly important here. Unless God blessed him, he had nothing to give. Everything depended on the blessing of God. He needed God's strength. He needed God's provision if he was going to live to serve him. He needed the discernment and the wisdom of God if he was going to live for him. To give more to God, he needed to draw more from him. And all too many people believe they can serve God out of the flesh, yet Jesus tells us that apart from him, we can do nothing. We are dependent from start to finish on the blessings of God, but he delights to give us all we need. We just need to draw near to receive those blessings. And those who serve him best owe him the most. For every blessing they are to others was first received from God. The final reason we need to draw near to God is found in Psalm 73, verse 28. Psalm 73, 28 says this, But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Notice the connection here between being near God and making God his refuge. God is his protection. And so the psalmist draws near to God for his protection. 
Now consider this in light of the command of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 8, 28. In Matthew 28, the Lord commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And listen to what he told them that day. Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These disciples would go to those who were hostile to the gospel. They had killed their Lord, and they would not hesitate to kill them as well. But what comfort it was for them to know the promise of the Lord Jesus to be with them always. His presence would always be near. And they drew near to him for that protection and keeping as they went out and lived in obedience. Satan, the world, and the flesh have all allied themselves against us in our walk with God. We will be attacked from all angles. And if we are going to persevere and maintain our walk with God, we desperately, desperately need his presence. We must draw near for his protection. He alone can give us the victory. He alone has conquered Satan, the world, and the flesh. He alone can protect us. Draw near to him for his protection. Cling to him in the battle that is before you, because only he can keep you to the end. Now we have seen the necessity of drawing near to God. But the reality, however, is that all too often we hesitate to draw near to him, or we do not experience this nearness. Why are we not able to draw near to God, as James tells us? What are the hindrances to drawing near? Well, let me suggest three possible hindrances to drawing near to God. And the first, of course, comes in the advice of David to his son Solomon. In First Chronicles 28 and verse 9. First Chronicles 28 verse 9 David speaks to Solomon and he says this, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your fathers and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Notice the words of David to his son. If you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. David reminds Solomon here of the very first hindrance to drawing near, and that is the hindrance of sin. Sin and forsaking God and his purpose is the greatest hindrance to intimacy with God. Jesus told those who brought their offerings to the temple that if they realized that their brother or sister had something against them, they were to leave their gift at the altar and first go and be reconciled with their brother or sister. They could not experience true fellowship with God if they had not confessed their sin to their brother and sister and be reconciled with them. Sin is a hindrance for us growing drawing near 
to God. We must address our sin. We must be serious about this matter if we are going to draw near to God. The next hindrance to drawing near to God has to do with our sense of unworthiness. Consider the example of the prodigal son as he returns home. Now, you remember the story of the prodigal son as he left his family, taking his inheritance and wasted his inheritance on frivolous things. And as he returns home, he returns home ashamed. He felt unworthy to even be a servant to his father. He did not deserve any favor or acceptance because he had wasted his resources. He felt unworthy. And the father, however, as he sees his son approach, just welcomes him with open arms and receives him as his son and blesses him in abundance. The unworthy son approaching the father. This is grace. See, all too many of us live with, without a true understanding of the grace of God. We, we do not draw near because we fail to understand his grace. We, we feel unworthy of forgiveness. We, we, we remember all that we've done and we feel so ashamed, too ashamed to even approach God. But unless we draw near, we will not know forgiveness. And Satan will hold us in this trap of unworthiness. But the grace of God, however, is greater than our unworthiness. The grace of God is greater than our unworthiness. We must approach him, though none of us deserve his grace. But all who come to him in their unworthiness find him and experience his wonderful forgiveness and cleansing. Like the prodigal son, we need to stand before our father to receive that grace and that unmerited favor. And unless we come and unless we conquer this unworthiness and approach him, calling out to him for grace, we will never be able to stand before him. We cannot and dare not refuse the grace that he offers because we feel too unworthy of it. There's one more hindrance that I would like to touch on here in this message. And we see a reference to this in Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah 29 verse 13 says this, And the Lord said, Because his people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. See, God speaks here about a people who drew near but a people who drew near only with their mouth and lips, but their hearts were far from God. 
Now, there are many reasons why people would draw near with their mouth, but not their heart. And time doesn't permit us here to go into detail about this. But suffice it to say that not all who profess Jesus Christ with their lips are sincere. Some come to Christ with a divided heart. Many followed after the Lord Jesus for what he had to offer them, but rejected him as a person when and he went to the cross. Jeremiah, however, speaks to all who sincerely seek God with all their heart. And he says in Jeremiah 29, verses 13 to 14, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Jeremiah reminds us here that if we seek the Lord with all our heart, not just with lips, and our mouth, but with all our heart, he will be found by us. James calls us to draw near to God. And we do so because without drawing near, we cannot know his forgiveness, his blessing, and his protection. Now, it is a fearful thing to draw near to God. But unless we understand his grace and forgiveness and draw near to him, there is no hope of forgiveness and intimacy with God. We must put aside uh, our insincerity and our sense of unworthiness and, and cling to his grace and call out for his grace. And the promise here in Jeremiah is that all who will draw near to him, he will draw near to them. May God give to us the boldness and the grace to draw near. For apart from drawing near to him, we have no hope of forgiveness, of blessing, of protection. May God give us the grace to reach out and to draw from him all the resources we need, boldly do so, so that we can serve him and we can honor him, and we can love him as he deserves. For unless we draw near, we have nothing to give. So we must draw near that we can serve him as we ought. <laughs>